coffee, and cannabis. It's the show where I interview professionals, researchers, and thought leaders in the cannabis space to help bring you deeper insight into who these individuals are and how they're shaping the cannabis industry. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Ashley Brown. Ashley is the founder and CEO of woman-focused medical cannabis community, SheCan. In the episode, we chat about how to navigate the medical system, how she can communities helping empower women through medical cannabis education, and the importance of keeping distinct medical and adult use channels. Ashley, welcome to the show. Uh, we were chatting a little bit in the pre-show just about uh, a little bit about my background and early career, and I want to dive a little bit into yours, what your early career looked like. So I went to business school and okay. uh, graduated in 2003, um, kind of went out into some interesting positions with data and merchandising. Mm-hmm. It was kind of being groomed to, to be a, a merchant buyer for a, a retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I decided to start a family, so I had two kids. Um, in lieu of continuing down that very uh, busy path of work, so right. that's right. my ba- my background is is business, but uh, mm. also data. That's one of my favorite mm. things. So it's a, a little known fact. Yeah, little known fact. That's all pre, okay. you know, pre epilepsy, mm. pre cannabis, pre mm. everything. So so mm-hmm. feels like forever ago. A lifetime ago, a lifetime right? and it's ago. funny, you know. I mean, I don't want to say a lifetime ago, <laughs> but it's funny that you know a lot of people that I've talked to, the careers that they've worked before, and then now they've suddenly wound up either in cannabis or psychedelics, and they've been able to kind of translate those skills that they picked up. Have Have you found that you're thankful that you worked um, in kind of non-cannabis space and got to bring over some skills from there? I think, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything, right? So Mm. we're usually able to take, you know, those pieces that are really compelling and and translate them into the channels that we need to. So I I definitely think, you know, well, many of the, you know, exams I crammed for have long left my head. There's a a spirit and an essence to everything that I've done before that Mm. you carry with you into into something new. Hmm. That's a good point. And I always say, too, that a lot of the a lot of the point of um, I think a lot of the rigor that people learn from university was having to go through exams and having to go through all that all that trouble. Even like you said, even if they don't remember anything, um, I think for a lot of people that I went to school with, it was a real kind of awakening for them. Right, people that maybe could kind of drift by, um, you know, in high school or early education, then they realize now it's grind time, and it kind of shapes you for for a future career. No. I, I think so. It also, I think, teaches you a lot about people potentially that you're going to encounter in business or in mm-hmm. life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just bringing those diversity of experiences to post-secondary is, uh, it's it's kind of kind of fascinating. It's kind of the microcosm of the macrocosm of the real world. <laughs> That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Even, um, yeah, and even, you know what, a lot of people taking softer sciences and then translating into the business world. A lot of people, so I did my undergrad in kinesiology, um, which is, you know, exercise science. And a lot of people brought that into into business. And it's hard for a lot of people that um, took degrees and, you know, couldn't necessarily, you know, if you took psychology, you couldn't be a psychologist or an anthropology and you couldn't be an anthropologist. And they were able to, like I said, at least translate that rigor into real world um, work and grit, right? Um, but 
you know, I, I digress and I do that sometimes, but tell me, so tell me a little bit about you. You mentioned, um, you know, for, for those that are kind of unfamiliar with your story, um, you did mention you had, you know, sudden, a sudden bout with, with epilepsy and how, you know, I was reading a little bit about your story and that kind of basically turned your life around. Um, can you tell the un, uninitiated kind of, you know, your story and how you got involved in into cannabis? Sure, Alex. Yeah. I, for me, my journey begins about 12 years ago now. My youngest daughter was uh, an infant. She was about three months old. And I started to feel really odd one day. It was evening and I thought maybe I was getting a migraine. And it progressed rapidly over the course of a couple of hours. And I, I had a massive tonic-clonic seizure. And when I came to, I was in the back of an ambulance. And uh, my life really changed from there. I had never had a seizure. I didn't know anything about epilepsy. And uh, when I woke up, um, I, I started just seizing every day. So um, they weren't always grand mal seizures. They weren't always those large seizures you see on TV. But um, I, I was steadily having more and more. And um, even with the help of medication, I was having, you know, upwards of 200 seizures a month. So it really, wow. oh everything changed. Yeah, mm. everything changed. Right. How, how couldn't it? Yeah. Okay. And then from there, how long did it take to be able to find? Because if you look at the evidence now, it's very overwhelming um, that especially in, in children, especially with um, Gervais syndrome, that, you know, cannabis should be one of your first stops because the evidence is overwhelming. So back back then, if you said 12 years ago, how long did it take to find cannabis? Um, yeah, as a treatment. Well, for me, it was uh, it was a really long road. We we saw lots of specialists. I was in hospital for lots of testing. We had some pretty substantial setbacks. However, um, I don't believe I even would have found cannabis to this day if it hadn't been for a really well-meaning friend in 2016. After seven years of, of just being incapacitated, I was unable to work. I you know, was unable to parent in the ways that I knew. I lost my license. Um, we lost our home and, you know, my relationship, uh, suffered and, and broke up as a result of, of seizures as well. And this friend had been there through it all. And, uh, she was, she was a friend from college. She had Lyme disease herself and she came to me one day and said, you know, I've gotten this authorization for medical cannabis. I really think you should try it. And I was skeptical because I'd seen a little bit of literature on Charlotte Figgy, and I understood that for catastrophic epilepsy, potentially there was some opportunity, but none of my physicians had ever mentioned it. And she said, you know, this is different. It's medical cannabis. You know, I just want you to try it. And um, because she was such a good friend and because she had been on her own journey with a very challenging diagnosis of Lyme disease, I did try it. And I was seizure-free for 24 hours for the first time in seven years with, with hmm. cannabis derived CBD oil. Wow. That's, and, and that must've been, I mean, not to understate, but that must've been quite a relief to find that you, you haven't gotten benefit like that from, from the other medications. Not at all. I mean, I was on several medications and, um, they were controlling some of the larger seizures, but you know, it was still 200 right. episodes a month. So, this was nothing short of miraculous. It really 
Um, right. It really just shattered the ceiling of where we thought we could go and, and the quality of life that I could have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't be outside with my children mm-hmm. because heat was a trigger. I, you know, I, I couldn't go places because I would get lost. Wow. So this was this was mm-hmm. nothing short of just life altering. Mm-hmm. It was it was completely um, it was completely mm-hmm. a transformative moment in in my life and in my family's life too to see that. Yeah, and even to this day, do you find that the that the effectiveness is still there as as when you first started taking? Well, it? I think this is a really important point of distinction because we hear so much about mm-hmm. the successes of medical cannabis and the, mm-hmm. especially the miracle mm-hmm. stories, right? So I I do consider right. my story miraculous in that I was able to, you know, gain so much quality of life, um, you know, from this from this compound, but I still have fifteen to thirty seizures a month. Um, you know, and that for me is a massive, um, massive turnaround, but it isn't a cure. So I, I really always want people to know that, you know, we, we have to redefine what we think healing is and maybe move away from curing when we talk about right. cannabis as medicine, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful right. for it, but I, I don't ever mm-hmm. want to claim it's a cure. Right. That, that's a really good point. And move m- maybe towards manageable because, you know, I don't want to go out on a limb, but I'm going to, you know, assume it probably still affects you, um, you know, in your life, in your daily, the way you think, the way you do things. But it's, you know, I think I think as a larger picture, when you look at cannabinoid medicine and if you compare it, you know, for let's say chronic pain and if you can compare it to opioids, it's it's pretty difficult to say that THC is going to completely get rid of all your pain and you won't feel anything much like an opioid. But if you look at long-term consequences, if you look at the pros and the cons, it, you may not be a 100% pain-free, but it's more manageable, right? And I think that's, I think tapering expectations and realizing um, and kind of doing that pro and con balance is important when people are, are looking at medical cannabis so that we're, we're not... Um, so people don't think we're selling snake oil, right? Every Everything comes at a cost. Absolutely. And I think that's also how we get physicians to buy in mm-hmm. and for larger, you know, you know, larger groups and stakeholders to also understand is that, you know, cannabis for me has been a really good adjunct. Mm. So it's allowed me to reduce the, the amount of medications exactly. I use mm-hmm. and the doses, but it hasn't taken those away. So mm-hmm. it's been really powerful in that capacity mm-hmm. and Overall, there are very minimal side effects. So that is about quality of life. And at the end of the day, quality of life is is really the, the thing that we focus on the most, especially mm-hmm. with cannabis, because by the time people get to cannabis, mm-hmm. they've probably, you know, been through the ringer right. for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I saw that. And when we first chatted, I mentioned I was at um, Natural Health Services, which is one of the first um, medical clinics here in Canada. And like I said, one, one of the ones I, I believe really rooted in education, right? And really um, trying to move away from um, from the, the old paradigm of, oh, well, it's, it's just medicinal. It's now th- these are real patients with real, real ailments and real diseases and real that, that need real help, right? Um, and I saw a lot of these patients come in that that this was kind of the the last step in their journey. It was a last resort. And they found that above everything else that they tried, that this was the one that helped the most. So for you, do you, do you wish that you had found this sooner or that there were, there were better, you know, a better support infrastructure for it sooner? I, I do. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not for lack of people advocating or trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 2016, when I got my medical cannabis authorization, mm-hmm. 
you know, my, my doctors were curious, but also skeptical. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't comfortable, you know, authorizing just yet. And, you know, time and progress and persuasion, um, do change hearts and minds. But I think we also, you know, have to be very aware that we don't know as much about this plant as we would like to, or as we will in Mm. the future. So we're really still often in the dark ages. So why does this work so well? Well, let's find out together. And of all the, the, you know, potential treatments that are out there, I think that cannabis and plant medicine are an opportunity for patients to be empowered in their own journey because they are learning alongside physicians. Mm. And as science comes out, we both have to meet it with, you know, with a critical and skeptical eye and say, okay, how does this fit into my life and my lived experience? And so, I, I mean, yes, I wish that it was a first-line treatment. I'm so encouraged post-legalization by the amount of physicians who are potentially more open to talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the next step is just making sure that we make those connections so that people, right. doctors and patients, have the resources they need to confidently recommend cannabis mm-hmm. and for patients to be able to be comfortable using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, and you know what, if we approach this as a, again, this is not a cure-all, but this is an option or, you know, kind of like we discussed, it's a tool in your toolkit, right? It's something that can be used as an adjunct um, that helps with a lot of these other treatments. Like if you look at, um, you know, let's take multiple sclerosis, CBD and THC are some of the most effective medications for them because not only does it help with um you know, that, that pins and needles feelings and, and the stiffness, but it also helps with the inflammation. And it's kind of, it's not just masking your pain, but it's helping you heal, right? They're finding that, especially as you age, your endocannabinoid tone decreases over time. So if anything, I, I view it almost more like a supplement, right? And if I always say, if you can get away with a supplement and it helps you just one thing, then, then that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's, it, again, it's a really, you know, it's a really compelling discussion to be learning all of this together because, you know, within the community that I run, she can, we see mm-hmm. a lot of different lived experiences. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have this constellation of symptoms maybe that are the same, right? So pain, mm-hmm. anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, depression, insomnia, th- those things are very common across so many chronic illnesses and acute conditions and disability. So, you know, why is this medicine working so well? Well, potentially because yes, it's supplementing Mm. uh, a system that is otherwise compromised that is the, you know, connection between epilepsy and endometriosis and migraines and fibromyalgia. Because those are the things we see again and again, and we see the successes in different formats and different doses. And that's where that lived experience, you know, as you've seen, witnessed firsthand, you know, working within a clinic that was education focused, Mm -hmm. the the lived experiences really drive the research. Mm And yeah. it's not the reverse. Right. And and that's frustrating because when you're a physician or you're an educator and you're trying to um, educate others, whether it's, you know, patients or, or other physicians, and then you say, well, I have all these anecdotes. And they say, well, you know, where's the stage one clinical trials? Where Where's all this rigorous evidence? And the truth is there is a lot of evidence out there. There is a lot of research, right? But it's maybe not as robust as they'd like because, you know, we're kind of going through this cannabis research renaissance where it's it's still federally illegal in the United States. It's very hard for them to even get their hands on good quality cannabis, right? And even, you know, they were using, um, for a lot of their patients, like nabilone, right? Synthetic cannabinoids. And I'm sure you and I could could even discuss the the difference between um, the even just the effectiveness of, of whole plant 
um, you know, extracts versus synthetics. Do you agree that, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that whole plants going to be more effective? Well, I think it's really interesting, Alex, that you bring that up because one of the things that I've been reflecting on a lot as a patient, um, there's two things. Number one, people um, will gravitate to Navalone um, to travel because we can't right. travel with our cannabis medicine. Right. So that's really the only time anyone really, you know, talks about, you know, synthetic cannabinoids if they can have access to, to medical cannabis. But at the same time, there's this really interesting thing happening, especially with CBD oil. Mm-hmm. And that's that all of the sudden, there is this drive to market products as being THC free and right. being pure and talking a lot about isolate. Yeah. Which 0% is, THC. You got yeah. it. Yeah. You yeah. got it. And, and so I understand like mm-hmm. the naive consumer is like, oh, hey, that's, you know, that's what I need. You know, I, I'm in a safety sensitive position or I, I have had a negative experience with, with THC in the past. But at the same time, you know, my lived experience, the lived experience of, you know, hundreds of thousands of patients is that yeah. we don't know enough to pick out a single compound from that plant mm. right? and confidently say this is going to be as good as a full spectrum of, of, of plant compounds. And so that makes me a little concerned because I, I do worry that people will try CBD oil that they, you know, they get from the dispensary. They'll get the zero ah, THC. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah. And right. that may not right. have been the right experience for them at all. Mm-hmm. Not only that, and just to add a, another layer, it's again, it's it has to be the right product at the right dosage with the right instructions. Uh, and I'm sure you could imagine um, that no no two patients' regimen is alike. You know, for, for us, every patient at a custom regimen, we, you know, we start at a small amount, we titrate, and, you know, we'd say take 0.25 milliliters twice a day and then increase from there. Every patient got a custom dosage. And I feel like now that more people don't want to go through the medical model, maybe because it's more work, they just go to a dispensary, they get an oil, they try it, or even worse, they, you know, they get an unregulated CVD, which we've, which studies have found can contain, uh, either a lot of THC or even no cannabinoids, no CBD, no THC, right? Even worse. So now, you know, we're, we're having this problem where people are going, well, you know what, this is snake oil. It's not working. It didn't work for me, but they, they don't have that education, right? Yeah. Um, That comes up a lot for us. That that's a huge um, hmm. point of education. And, you know, Hmm. bud tenders are not allowed to advise on dosing and we understand that. And that's where, Hmm. you know, it's so important to be able to say, okay, well, I'm going to use, you know, the medical channel, which, you know, it Hmm. isn't a challenging system to use and it isn't difficulty. Hmm. There isn't a difficulty Hmm. there that there used to be, but perception is reality, right? So if people feel that they're going to have to struggle talking to their physician, then that stops them and they do pick up that bottle at the dispensary, which, you know, Hmm. may be a good point of entry. And oftentimes people Hmm. do come to me and say, hey, I bought this at the dispensary. Can you tell me, Hmm. you know, how you use it? And of course, we don't dispense medical advice, but we are happy to share our own lived experiences. And then you start to see Hmm. kind of a pattern and that pattern is that when people have access to peer support, when they have access to that medical channel, you know, one of the big things is drug interactions. So, you know, mm, we can't right. counsel on those. How many people can? Well, medical cannabis by shoppers does because they have cannabis trained mm-hmm. pharmacists. So I am constantly right. saying to people, you know what? CBD oil, there can be drug interaction. So we want you to get the best chance of this working. Here's what the best path forward would be. And armed with that education, 
odds are good that they're going to have the patience to find what works and, and really follow a, a customized regimen. And those players are so important, especially in the absence of physician support, right? Is having the mm. pharmacist, is having the peer support and having that medical right. document in hand so that you're not just going for the ultra pure zero mm-hmm. THC and expecting that you're going to mm-hmm. sleep well that night because we know right. that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if you, like I said, if you can, even if you give anecdotes or success stories, like you said, I don't have your chart in my hands. I don't know what medications you're taking. I don't know what your history is. There's so much that they don't know that would be much better in the hands of a qualified physician and an educator. But I think there's just that, like you said, there's kind of that barrier right now where people don't want to go to their doctor to ask for a referral, right? People don't want to talk to a physician. People don't want, and even, you know, the the difficulty with um, the medical models, you can't walk in to your appointment and walk out with your cannabis the same day, right? Often you have to order it from your LP, which is another step. We had so many patients. I think we had um, something like 30% of patients would come in for a consult. We'd set them up with an LP and they would never order. Yeah. They they would just never order because that's that's just a barrier to them doing that, right? And that's why I, I, feel, I feel really sad and frustrated that these medical patients were kind of left in the dust, right? Yeah, I think it's it's a really important point and it's a, it's a point it's a gap in the in the educational model that we really do work to fill because we understand that even the clinics that are out there have a challenge meeting the needs of every patient on an ongoing basis. It takes a lot of resources. But I think at the same time the only piece of the medical system that continues to be a tremendous barrier is the lack of you know, pharmacy distribution and storefront distribution with medical advice. So we have, you know, telemedicine has become something that people are, you know, much more comfortable with now, especially because of the mm-hmm. pandemic. It, it's right. as easy as, you know, logging on to any website. A lot of license holders, you know, especially the marketplaces like shoppers, they have a, you know, a physician or a clinic that they work with. You you get an appointment within 24 to 48 hours at most a week, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to order. However, therein lies the rub is that patients do want to be able to walk in to a pharmacy and pick up that medicine alongside their other prescriptions. And until we're there, until we have that coverage in place and it's recognized as a medicine that's dispensed alongside other medicines or as a cannabis health product that has been rigorously tested mm. and approved and can be picked up yeah. in that, you know, over the counter. Mm-hmm. I, I that mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to rest until that's the reality for Canadians. Mm-hmm. We've got to talk about it being a consumer health product. Because that's something that's coming. I heard maybe 2023 they want to make CBD accessible um essentially anywhere, right? Grocery stores, over the counter? Well, there's a lot of rumors floating around about this. And um, I think we we all like to be optimistic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's an incredible opportunity for cannabis health products in this country. But I'm not so sure what the timeline is going to look like because... Mm-hmm. A lot of what it really relies on is the research being done to prove the claims. So that's a right. lot of burden right. on companies to be able to say that this dose mm-hmm. does this or this dose is safe, especially right. when we go down that right. murky kind of dose dependent drug interaction, you know, mm-hmm. you know, pathway. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is where we have a ways to go. Can we get there by 2023? Perhaps. I mean, 2023 is also the year that we have a mandated review of the 
um, medical cannabis arm of the Cannabis Act. So Health mm. Canada is going mm. to engage. And, you know, as advocates, that's something we're working towards really mm. diligently is gathering the data to be able to say to people, like, these are the things, this is the reform we would like. Obviously, at the top of our list is pharmacy distribution because we want to see right. it covered and not taxed. And we want to see it accessible to all Canadians, not just Canadians who have access mm. to a computer. Yes. Or... I would even argue this, not only accessible to Canadians that are well off, right? If you look at the, the the kind of people that can afford cannabis, especially the medical cannabis and at the doses they need, it's really, really difficult. Some people have coverage, and I talked about this in, in, in another episode, that you know those that have coverage, um, are it's usually only a part of their, their health spending account. Those that have health spending accounts usually are well off and they have good jobs. And now it's like the people that really need it are the people that are on disability and that are on disability because of their condition, but they can't afford it. And it's just kind of a cycle. And I feel like the price of it and it not being covered has just left those patients in the dust. And that and that really frustrates me. And that's that's why I hope that this review kind of, like you said, at least takes off the tax or at least takes these patients' financial situation um, you know, as a consideration so that they can think of cannabis as a serious option, right? Not just as a, well, it would be nice if they could afford it, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we can't, I've never had a conversation about cannabis where we didn't talk about affordability. And the reason being is that, you know, in 2016, when I started using medical cannabis, Mm -hmm. I was on disability and living below Mm -hmm. the poverty line. Mm -hmm. And so it was a full third of my disability income Mm -hmm. to pay for medical cannabis. And that was at a dose that was one tenth of what I should have been taking. So we as a family had to make incredible sacrifices to be able to afford that. And you're right, it's a system that does not include the people who are most marginalized. And, you know, we, we are noticing some things that are incredibly positive. And I think that these are gonna bode well for more reform of the medical cannabis system. And I have to say that glut of biomass that everybody sees floating around has a positive impact for patients, not because that we want everybody's leftovers, we don't, <laughs> but because cannabis prices are coming down dramatically. So I'm sure you right. remember that you couldn't get a gram of cannabis for under $6 for years, oh right? Oh my god. Uh, on the medical model, it was like uh at least 10-12 a gram, 14 at some companies. A bottle of oil, I remember. Um I don't know if I should name the company, but it was $150 per bottle and some of these patients needed two bottles a month. And it's like, well, we'll give you compassionate pricing, which is 15 to 20% off, but even then, that's just it's a drop in the bucket, right? But I I remember. Oh, I remember. And so so the good (laughs) news is that today a bottle of oil is two cents per milligram of CBD for actual quality. Yeah. So we've gone from from an average of, you know, 10 to 11 cents per milligram. You got it. So now we are we have multiple contenders (laughs) and we have we have cannabis that is $80 an ounce. We have product that is decent from craft producers that is $99 an ounce. Hmm. And so. I think that's another reason people potentially steer clear of the medical market is they think it'll be more expensive or because it's more specialized, it'll be, you know, the the cost will go up. There'll be a premium. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Mm -hmm. what we're seeing is that, you know, on average, SheCan members spend $40 million worth of their own funds to Mm -hmm. to pay for their medical cannabis a year. And that actually isn't changing. So as prices go down, they're not buying Mm -hmm. 
less cannabis. They're not spending less. Yeah, they're they're buying more. They can just afford to get more. They can afford the doses they need. For the same Mm -hmm. amount of money. Interesting. Interesting. So you're having a healthier, a healthier, better, better patient population, right? They can access, like you said, the doses that they actually need. I love that. I really love to see that. And you're, you're so right about price being the number one factor because that was the very first discussion I had with every single patient is I had a, a spreadsheet I printed out um, and it was every single oil available from every LP, the dollar per milligram, if they had compassionate pricing, and then we went from there. That was the number one discussion. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's, it's amazing that we're moving away from that. So you, you keep, you, you've mentioned SheCan a couple of times. I'd love to hear a little bit about the, the inception of SheCan and, and your involvement and maybe even um, kind of the early days and, and where it is now. So SheCan is a community for Canadian women and the term is used inclusively. So we are, we are open and inclusive to all Canadians who identify as women who are trans or non-binary. And we really focus on education and empowerment. So the group started as a Facebook group in 2017, myself and a few other very like-minded women who are medical cannabis patients and new to the Canadian program, which at the time was the ACMPR. We were poking around, you know, on social media, looking for resources because we didn't understand necessarily how to dose or what terpenes were or, you know, which LP was going to have the best selection or, you know, compassionate pricing, for example. And and what we found in a lot of the groups were there was this incredible depth of knowledge, especially from legacy growers, from those who had been, you know, in the early days of the MMAR and the MMPR. But there was also a really strong sentiment against the legal system, especially licensed producers. And, you know, as a mom of two, as someone using an oil for epilepsy, um, growing my own was not an option. And so when I would ask questions, um, people would basically tell me to Google it or grow my own. And we saw this kind of pervasive theme where, you know, women started to go quiet. They didn't ask questions anymore. They were very vulnerable and, and, and really, you know, really challenged to find the information they needed. So one day we decided we'd just start a little Facebook group and, uh, we called it SheCan. And that was 2017 in summer of 2017. And by the end of the year, we realized that, you know, we had created something that was really special and perhaps that we weren't the only people that felt that way because we just continued to grow Mm -hmm. and, you know, really took on a model of, you know, evidence-based education, peer support, and offering those resources Mm -hmm. and navigation because so much of what happens for people is that they don't know how to navigate the system. They don't know how to navigate the, the, you know, the products. They don't know how to navigate advocacy. So what does it look like to say to someone, this is in your hands and we are going to be there with you with compassion, without judgment. Mm -hmm. And to this day, you know, it's been four years and we have over 11,000 members across our digital network. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, nice. it's it's inc- it's that. incredible. We continue mm-hmm. to grow at the same rate month over mm-hmm. month because you know, people are very interested in how to treat these conditions they've been living with and suffering from for years. And legalization gave a lot of people permission to have those discussions and women especially are really comfortable, you know, talking to each other and and offering that suggestion. So these community members on average have been patients for more than four years. So as many as new people as we see come, you know, come through our virtual doors, we also, 
you know, have this incredible base of basically ambassadors for this very challenging system, right? So they've stuck with this medical cannabis system for over four years because they've gotten the peer support, because they've gotten the education, because they've had the medical support, you know, through clinics like Natural Health Mm -hmm. Services. And Mm -hmm. that has been the biggest benefit. So she can now acts often as an advocacy arm of and works with other organizations like Medical Cannabis Canada. We work with stakeholders on reform. We dialogue with Health Canada on things that are relevant and important so that we can get, you know, the best possible mm-hmm. answers and 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 give the best possible mm-hmm. feedback. It's really important to us that, you know, the community um, be able to stay agnostic so we don't receive any funding or sponsorship mm-hmm. from any, you know, entities right. within the cannabis space. And it's all moderated really closely so that everyone feels like they have someone holding their hand. That's that's amazing. And I think community is so important. And especially when you consider the fact that, you know, you guys were available as as a resource considering even some of these clinics, the level of education that you didn't get was was appropriate. So even you could go to a clinic and they would say, okay, here's your prescription. You get um, 10 grams a day. I sent you to this. You got it. That and that's and where I what, was. That's right? how it so, all started. Is that I got that exact scenario, and I was so happy right. to have the document. But what do I do with it? <laughs> right? How much do I yeah. take? And the LPs were very right. limited in right. what they could share and the resources they had to. So, it, it really was about working with right. all of those groups to find a space that made sense. Mm-hmm. And Natural Health Services, the first interview that we ever did talking about Sheikhan was with mm-hmm. uh, was with Kate from Natural Health Services because there was such a natural synergy there. Yeah. Right? That we were serving the same purpose that we were really mm-hmm. looking to you know kind of yeah. fill the gaps in the patient journey for sure mm-hmm. yeah that that's great and i even remember some um some of the nurses in our office uh were always talking about the she can facebook group and they were always on it and they were always reading these patient anecdotes and it it it, it benefits everybody it benefits benefits the individual um that that needs to come in and get help but also you can see these these patient anecdotes and it really kind of reinforces like i said that sense of community and that sense of um you know we're here for a reason this is important it gives you purpose right because without that it's hard it's almost hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel right you see these patients that are all benefiting and i i I would feel as a member that that would kind of you know strengthen me and that that would kind of help me I think it absolutely does I mean there there are always challenges and witnessing someone else's success or you know also their vulnerability Mm -hmm. really can have such an important impact when you're having a day where you know it didn't work last night and you didn't sleep well or you're struggling with your dose or potentially there's a product that isn't available to you anymore so being able to come and say hey you know I'm struggling can you give me you know can you give me an answer is there something else I can try is there someone I can speak with I mean, those are questions right. that that right. go beyond just how to use your medicine every day. They go into things like, you know, workplace safety and, you know, storing your kit, storing right. your cannabis safely from your children and talking to your kids about cannabis. And, mm-hmm. you know, women are really incredible, right. too, because when you give them a problem like this, when you give them a problem like the access to medical cannabis regulations as they stand, They say, well, okay, why is it like that? And what can we do about it? And sometimes what they can do is share their experience and their voice so that I can take all of their lived experience and actually Mm -hmm. make it into data that speaks to people. And that is something that, Mm -hmm. you know, they're happily Mm -hmm. participating in. So we're able to say that, you know, 90% of our members two years ago were going without or were underdosing their medication due to cost. 
So we know that that's a primary mm. concern and we can align that. On average, a SheCan member uses 45 to 60 milligrams of CBD per day. Well, that's a far cry from what people might wow. assume was a daily dose, right? You know, it's funny that you mentioned people want some products with zero THC, considering, you know, you and I both know that you need a little bit more THC for it to be effective. And even, you know, two milligrams of CBD per mil versus zero can make it that much more effective. So I'm, I'm, I really wonder if um, patients wouldn't even need, you know, 1500 milligrams if they just had less CBD with a little bit more THC. But people are more kind of hesitant to try out the THC, right? They really are. And it's interesting because people, when they first come to us, will always stipulate that they do not right. want any THC. And it's it's kind of a, a challenge, but, you know, I, I believe in transparency is, yeah, absolutely, you can start there. And here's how long you should expect mm. to try it before you may want to entertain something with mm. THC. And here's how we know this plant works together. And there's also all these other cannabinoids within the plant that are probably having some impact mm. on our health, some of which are just brand new and we were just only learning that companies even mm. test for them, right? It's like CBDV mm. and, you know, things like CBN. Mm. So I, I think there's a good sense that once someone, you know, has a bit of trial and error, they understand and are a little more open to the idea of THC. But it is still a challenge really to get people to, to realize that this is a plant that works best when it is intact. Right. So we don't understand it on its own, but it is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? That kind of segues nicely into um, you. I, I had heard you were doing a sort of Mythbusters campaign with Shoppers Drug Mart. And is that true? So I am really fortunate to be able to to engage um, with patients and Shoppers has given me the opportunity to talk to lots of people, including you, which um, really makes me happy because I, I think there are a lot of um, there are a lot of myths around cannabis and um, there's certainly some that really um, you know, they, they hinder people's ability to have success with medical cannabis and one of those biggest issues is around it not being accessible. Right. Um, so we know that I spend every day connecting people with responsible cannabinoid physicians in Canada because we know that nurse practitioners and physicians who are experienced in authorizing for medical cannabis can make all the difference in the world to someone. And allowing them to have that access is really the first step in them understanding that this is a process that they are empowered by. So, you know, it's really always important to me when people say, well, it's really hard to get to say, no, no, you actually don't have to go to your family physician. You can actually use a clinic right. or you can be referred into a clinic or, you know, you can have a telemedicine appointment and you don't need to get a babysitter for your <laughs> child and leave your home for one more appointment. And that's a big piece of this. And as we've talked about, you know, affordability. Um, one of the biggest myths around medical cannabis is that it's expensive. And it is. It will always be too expensive as long as there are people who cannot afford it, period. Right. There's no debating that in my mind as a patient who has struggled to afford her medication. But at the same time, you know, medication is covered by, you know, insurance. Is cannabis? Well, we're getting mm -hmm. there. We're seeing more and more plans opt in, as you talked about, with health spending accounts, but also with some dedicated ca cannabis coverage for certain conditions. And people can claim it on their taxes. Right. So medical cannabis is uh, is an expense. Mm -hmm. And if you are paying out of pocket and paying income tax, odds are good you're going to see some of that recoup. Mm -hmm. So 
there's a lot of reasons. I have kind of a list of, <laughs> I have a list I go around with, uh, and I unroll my scroll. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost a it's a, it's a long long laundry uh-huh. list of reasons that I think it's important that people participate in the medical cannabis system. But a lot of the reasons really involve getting the setting the record straight around some of those mm. myths around cannabis. And, you know, it's funny when when you talk about, you've mentioned it every day. You talk about it every day, and you talk it. To, to patients every day, I, I really started to take for granted how well known the information is, right? When you talk about e- even just the difference of CBD versus THC, to, to you or I, that's very obvious. But to a lot of patients, um, that's not so obvious, right? So it's good to be able to communicate that, um, e- even though you think that that everybody should know that. It, it's, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon that I ran across the more patients that I saw. Yeah, it, it's it's really important to kind of be aware of that and to realize that every day someone is starting where we did. Every day someone is taking that very first step and they're it's usually they've they've felt very vulnerable, they're very inexperienced, yeah. they're very unsure. And so, you know, I, I give people credit because that's brave. Mm-hmm. It's brave to ask about something you don't understand. Right. It's brave to ask what does L P stand for? <laughs> or, yeah. you know, what is THC? Right. Or, you know, why would I buy it like this? Or, you know, can I smoke this? Right. Or I don't want to smoke, what can I mm-hmm. do? Those questions, you know, they seem like beginner questions. They're not beginner questions, they're universal questions that at some point everyone will ask or struggle yeah. with. No, I, I, I totally agree. And that's why I love that now we have resources, right? Now that people have, have communities to go to. And I, I really just want to, you know, say how much I appreciate that the, the community that you've cultivated. And, and like you said, 11,000 people that you've influenced and helped. I, and you, I think you've done a tremendous service for, for people that had a lot of questions. So I, I, I really appreciate you being kind of a part of that. Um, for now, for, for future outlook, what do you think, you know, what, what is, medical cannabis look like do you think in, in in the coming months and years and you know how how do you hope to be involved well i'm a bit of an optimist mm-hmm. and I, i'm a bit of a bully uh-huh. in terms of my optimism because i want to share it with everybody yeah. and and i think it's really important to be able to take um you know take a long view on medical cannabis but also acknowledge how far we've come mm. so you know for me it's perspective mm. you know in 2009, there was one strain of cannabis, one cultivar being grown in a mine in Flin Flon, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. You know, the estimated THC content was 3%. <laughs> so if you were a patient who couldn't grow their own, that was your option. Right. You know, and and so in 2016, if you recall, oils had only just been made legal for sale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's only five years ago. Wow. So we continue to really progress to something that looks more like medicine. Mm. And that's really important that we don't lose sight of that momentum. I know that there are a lot of people, and this is another myth that comes up, who mm. believe that, you know, people aren't as invested or interested in the medical system and maybe mm. we don't need one. Yeah. And the fact is that that's completely untrue. Mm-hmm. If if anything, there are more and more people embracing the idea that medical cannabis may be an option for them, that accessing cannabis for wellness purposes may be important or, you know, you know, life-changing for them. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to really not take your foot off the gas right now, but to continue to educate 
especially in the mainstream. So that means meeting people where they are and having those original conversations and talking about some of the, you know, misconceptions and the myths around cannabis so that we can really open up that dialogue. Because given the tools, you know, most people will try and take control of their health. Mm-hmm. And part of those tools can be medical cannabis, absolutely. But that also means getting better access. So for me, what does the future look like? The future always, always looks like medical cannabis distributed through a pharmacy, accessible to everyone, regardless of their income, regardless of where they live, regardless of whether they have a computer or a fixed address. And until we get there, we are not finished. (laughs) <laughs> so that's what I'll be spending my time doing for the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. especially in the run up to the 2023 review. Yes. So we'll continue yes. to gather the data and amplify the voices and really always make sure that that is an inclusive conversation mm-hmm. that really looks to the unique needs of all populations, mm-hmm. not just the population that shows up in my community every day. Right. Right. And I think you're going to have your hands full considering now the the new cannabinoids kind of coming online and CBDA and like you said CBDV and THCV and data comes out and how we can really you know tailor make somebody's prescription and you're gonna need people to to hold their hand along through their journey so I think uh, I, I definitely think you're gonna be busy the next couple of years <laughs> <laughs> well you know what um, busy is good when it's in service of other people and yeah. I'm incredibly fortunate that I have this community yeah. that are so supportive of each other really mm-hmm. because we have a choice as human beings when faced with adversity when mm-hmm. faced with an illness with when faced with you know incredible challenges and that that choice is in how we choose to move forward and move through it and every day these humans show up for each other and they define what she can was always supposed to be which was empowering canadian women mm-hmm. they bring compassion they bring vulnerability and they bring their own resources of hope so even on their worst days they are still managing to reach beyond their own challenges and support others and yeah. that is something that is it's humbling to witness mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. it is the most incredible use of social media um, I think we could ask for really. I think so. I, I and and you know what? And do you guys still use Facebook? Just just curious because I know fa- Facebook is even trying to censor a lot of cannabis related content. Oh, it's a it's a very uh, a very emotional subject for me, Alex. Because yes, oh, no. we do use Facebook because Facebook yeah. is the most accessible to the majority of people, right? So right. people who are not technologically savvy or people who have maybe limited you know resources <laughs> in terms of how they use the internet, they go to Facebook for a multitude of reasons, including she can. So um, we have had so many violations, even in our completely legal, completely on-site group, based Mm -hmm. on Facebook's community standards around cannabis, we are continuously vulnerable to being shut down. And so we are really asking the community to opt into an email sign-up list so that we don't lose touch. And working um, with very, very limited resources, there's no funding for SheCan, so it's out of pocket for me, um, to build you know, other tools that may be helpful, including building out our website. So right. it, it's about you know reaching beyond that, but still being able to adapt to the fact that that is where people are and that's probably not going to change so how do we you know just create a more robust offering that also allows us to sleep at night because you know i can tell you that the mornings that i wake up and there's a facebook violation because someone took a picture of a Mm -hmm. you know of an emblem kin slip 
and shared it with someone who cannot take oil because they have oh. ulcerative colitis. And then I'm told that that's me, you know, trafficking drugs. Oh, that's you know, when those when those oh, things happen, fair. you know, it, it, it pulls the rug right out from under my feet and the feet of thousands of, mm-hmm. of patients who are genuinely trying to have a better life. So and yeah. And you know what's really funny about that is, do you know how many times I see viral videos on Facebook or social media of people chugging alcohol, like just 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 chugging a bottle of whiskey, and and that's completely accepted and fine. Although the harm of that is, it's a, it's promoting you know harmful activity, and b, that's it's not a safe thing to do, and yet that's perfectly fine and accepted, and it's really hypocritical, and it's and it's gross, and I'm sorry that you guys have to go through that because that's. That's such a headache. You can't. You couldn't even send a picture of of the kin slips. Nope, couldn't. Couldn't. Uh, I had a woman who's fixed income. She is looking for a dry flower vaporizer, so harm yeah. reduction tool, right? She doesn't want to smoke right. anymore. And right. we have a great um, a great retailer that works with our members to find what the best fit for them is, so that they can afford mm-hmm. it. And I posted their phone number, and got flagged <laughs> for a dry flower vaporizer. For an oh, income-sensitive uh, patient, yeah. So, oh, you yeah. know, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so hard on the spirit of yeah. what we're trying to do. But that being said, the reason that I don't leave Facebook is because this is about so much more than even what we're mm-hmm. doing. It's about the future right. of all those places where people are trying mm-hmm. to access this information, countries right. that it isn't legal yet, even for medical purposes. So mm-hmm. we, we really do have to stand firm and say, no, no, we know we're not doing anything wrong. And, and beyond that, mm-hmm. you know, I have reached out to you know people at Facebook and said, hey, um, if you want help with cannabis policy reform and community guidelines, I'm here. Like I will lend right. you my time freely because this is so important and I know that ultimately, you know, they're trying to prevent harm. Well, mm-hmm. so am I. And preventing mm-hmm. harm means giving people access to information and medicine they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really well said. And, you know, I can only hope that as more c- countries continue to legalize and as education kind of and normalization happens, you're going to see things change. But in terms of I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea when that's going to occur. It, it seems really frustrating considering there's still countries where you can be thrown in jail for life just for possession of cannabis. You know, we're really lucky that we have what we do, but it's frustrating that, you know, we're kind of subject to to almost the ignorance of, of the rest of the world, if that makes sense. It, it is really unfortunate. And it's this interesting place where we have so much to be thankful for as Canadians mm. to have this system yeah. of medical access and to yeah. watch these prices come down and to watch more people be able to adopt it. But at the same time, yes, we are at the mercy of a world that has not caught up yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really well said. And hey, for, for anybody else that wants to... Um, hear more from you or that wants to be a butter she can where can people get involved how can they find you well they can still find us on facebook as of the time we recorded this (laughs) so they can search up she can on facebook if there's somebody who maybe doesn't think they're the right fit but is still looking for information and resources and support we are also on instagram and twitter so happy to get us there at, at she can cannabis and um, I do my best to uh, moderate all those accounts with the same attention to detail as we do uh, our Facebook hub. So we have a, a set of um, a set of questions we ask. At this point, we're really just focused on Canadians um, because that's the system that we work and play in. But um, you know, the future looks so much broader 
than uh, Cannabis Without Borders. So, yeah, very, very well said. I, I love that. Well, hey, uh, this, I, I think I think we had such an important conversation, and um, I, I really appreciate coming on to chat. No, thank you so much, Alex. I really, really appreciate your time. If you want to hear more about SheCan or if you're interested in joining the community, make sure to give them a follow on social media platforms. It's SheCan, S-H-E-C-A-N-N. And as always, if you want to hear more from me, it's Coffee Cannabis Podcast on Instagram, coffeecannabis.ca. New episode in two weeks.